This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Bright-sighted. At the worst, at the worst point of, of this, um, I had every window covered up. Um, I was working on my laptop out of my bed. I was afraid to get out of my bed. I would go running. I would strategically think what I wanted out of my fridge to eat or drink. And I would strategically count to three and I would run to get what I wanted and would run back to my bed because I was too, was too afraid to think who was videoing me what are they looking at? I'm so sorry. Testimony continued today in the most notorious criminal trial in Richland County history. Dr. John Boyle is accused of killing his wife, Noreen, and burying her body in the basement of his new home in Erie, Pennsylvania. The 12-year-old son finally took the stand. As I heard a scream, I heard a thud. It was about this loud. We, the jury, find the defendant guilty. When I was 12 years old, my testimony sent my father to prison for murdering my mother. This podcast serves as a type of therapy and reconciliation for myself, and it is my hope that it helps anyone who has experienced deception, betrayal, and dark trauma. I'm Collier Landry, and this is Moving Past Murder. Hey, movers, welcome back to another episode of Moving Past Murder. I'm your host, Collier Landry, and what's going on? What's going on, guys? Another Friday. I've got a great episode in store for you guys. Um, man, I am tired. I just got back a couple of days ago from visiting my friends and family in Mansfield, Ohio, which is where I'm from, and it was a whirlwind trip. I was there for man, like 48 hours, maybe a little more. Uh, got to catch up with some family, got to catch up with some friends. I got to see my three nephews, Logan, Lachlan, and Lennox, who just wanted me to play baseball with them. And it was really fun. Um, my adopted mother's side of the family had a family reunion that I came in town for because I had not seen some of these relatives in almost 20 years, which was really cool. And, you know, for, as a lot of, you know, I don't have any real connection with my birth family. Um, having been abandoned when the murder happened and remanded to the foster care system. Um, I don't have a lot of contact with people, um, which is unfortunate, but it is what it is. But I do have a wonderful adoptive family that is supportive of me. And um, I got to see some of those family members that I haven't seen in a really long time. And of course, my nephew is my favorite. Um, I also got to see some friends. I got to see my dear friend, Jason Klein. I got to see my dear, dear friend, who's, you know, my personal superhero. Dave Messmore, who was a detective from my mother's case, and his wife, Sue. I got to hang out with them a little bit and talk to them. I actually shot some TikTok content with them so and some Patreon content. Your support means the world to me. And for those of you who are watching this on YouTube, please remember to click like and subscribe. It helps with the algorithm. I want to give a few shout outs to those people who I saw in Mansfield. So um, I went to the Westbrook Country Club and 
to see my dear friend, Shelly Seckel, who Shelly has been in my life since I moved to Mansfield when I was like five years old. And she actually worked for my uh, orthodontist. And, uh, you know, she, we were posing for a picture and she said, oh, smile by Martz, because my doctor was Dr. Martz, who was my orthodontist. I got to see, see Shelly and Dan at Westbrook Country Club. I got to meet their dear friend and massive Moving Past Murder fan, Debbie Adams from Ontario. Sue and Bob Kleckner came out. They showed their support. They have hooked me up with a very special guest I'm going to interview this weekend, who is very personal to me and has a massive connection to my father's case. So it is going to be a great interview. I'm stoked. Can't wait to interview this guy. I also want to give a special shout out to Matt and Annie Trammell, who uh, are actually the ones who live in my house in Mansfield. And um, I got to go back and shoot some very exclusive content, not only for Patreon, but also for my TikTok channel. Um, so you guys got to check it out. If you found me on TikTok, welcome to the program. And everyone that I saw back in Mansfield, I, despite what you guys might think about me leaving as a, you know, as a young man going out and pursuing the world, I still really do feel a deep connection with all of my Mansfield people, my Mansfield family, my Ontario warriors, where I graduated in, oh my God, 1996. Oh man, that was a while ago, but I still feel like an 18 year old. That's for sure. Or at least I act like one, maybe. That's probably more accurate. But no, in all seriousness, I love my hometown and I love all the support and love that I get from you guys. It was a great trip. It was a fun trip, um, but I am tired. On Saturday, I was actually on and honored to be a guest on the Minds of Madness podcast. Tyler Allen, Beck, and the writer Ryan, they did an amazing job with my episode. It is called The Brass Ring. It is episode number 137 of the Minds of Madness podcast. And they just sent me such a solid. Now, for those of you that have never listened to Minds of Madness, it is like listening to a documentary. The audio quality is absolutely superb. It puts me to shame. And I have to be honest, they did such an amazing job with my story. I was crying when I, at the end of it. They put in so much love and care into their show. That's why they're so successful. You know, they're with Wondery. They've done an amazing job being a supporter of this program, giving me shout outs. And um, I just love Tyler Beck and Ryan so much and the whole team over at Minds of Madness because guess what? You know why they're so nice? Because they're all Canadian. <laughs> Tyler and I bonded when we met at CrimeCon because... We, I was at Hot Docs uh, a couple of years ago where my film, Murder in Mansfield, premiered, and he actually won an award at Hot Docs for his sound design because he's an amazing sound designer. And if you listen to the program, again, episode number 137 of Minds of Madness, it is called The Brass Ring. And that all relates back to my mother who told me to grab the brass ring in life. But it is so well done. I can't highly recommend them and thank them enough for being a part of the program. Thank you so much to everyone that supports this program. Uh, whether you are just downloading it and listening every week, whether you're watching on YouTube, hopefully you're doing both, or whether you subscribe to my Patreon and you support there. I want to give a big shout out to my latest Patreon supporter, Daniela Klobuchar. And she discovered me on that Minds of Madness podcast. You know, she writes me on Instagram and I want to read her message this week. She says, Collier, I heard your story on the Minds of Madness podcast and it was one that really got me. I am a single mom to my six-year-old son and I could never imagine what life for him would be like if I wasn't around. The bond you have with your mom reminds me of what I have with my son. Your courage as a 12-year-old was incredible. The message you tell today is one that has stuck with me. Some days feel hard and I keep asking why am I going through this alone, but I need to change it around to what now? 
Thank you for sharing your story. You are incredible and such an inspiration, Daniela. Um, Daniela, thank you so much for reaching out. Thank you for supporting the program on Patreon. Anyways, uh, this week's episode is a tough one. Often when I speak to survivors who have gone through major, major trauma, not everyone is as open as I am. And not, not everyone can be as open as I am because of there's a lot of legal things that go on with, with situations where people, and this particular, uh, my guest today is Kimberly Miner. She runs the nonprofit envisionyouvictory.org. And she is a survivor of a really, really bad stalking case and an abusive situation that she was in for and she had the courage to reach out to me on Instagram and share her story with me. And I said, I'd love for you to be on the program and give some tips to my audience because I do have a lot of people that are victims of domestic abuse, that are victims of stalking, that are victims of coercive control. And I feel like, you know, and my mother was also a victim of that. I mean, it doesn't have to be that way for everyone. So I really, I really hope you guys glean a lot of insight from her. You know, this particular person, you terrorized her for a very long time. And even so much so as to not even letting her get along, get, get on with her life where she could actually just, uh, have a business. And this, this person was sending bad messages to her colleagues and to her employers and trying to get her fired. And just really trying to sabotage every aspect of her life to control it so this individual could control everything about her and loop her back in to his ring of madness, if you will. It's tough because I can, you know, as she shared with me, as she shares with you guys in the program this week, it is something that still really affects her. And it is something that she, um, that she, you know, has to really live with every day. And you know, I really commend her strength. Now she has gone on to pass a law and work with her state representatives and her home state of Arizona to make sure that things like this don't happen to other victims. So again, her nonprofit envisionyouvictory.org, she's really helping victims. And I've referred her to some friends of mine that have also been through similar situations that are looking for help and support. Um, so I am pleased to welcome to the program this week, Kimberly Miner. My guest today is Kimberly Miner. Kimberly, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on, Collier. Um, so Kimberly, you and I had chatted a little bit. Um, we met actually because you had seen my documentary, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was I watched your documentary and I watched I think I watched every single one of your po uh, podcasts at this point. Oh wow. Okay, <laughs> cool. Thank you so much. Um, so Kimberly, you know, you had you sort of delved into a little bit of your story with me, but why don't you be, why don't you start from sort of the beginning on, on what has happened and, and some of the, and the impacts that you've been able to make because of your story? Yeah. Uh, you know, I kind of reached out to you because I had a huge interest when you had your podcast with Chris on, uh, the, uh, cybersecurity and, uh, having to deal, you know, with, having to be very careful with the, you know, stalking that goes on with, you know, romance and, uh, you know, security having to do around with your personal life and stuff. And uh, I, you know, reached out and said, you know, I thought that was such a great piece that you did. 
uh, it touched on, you know, my personal journey that I dealt with, with my own personal stalker, that it was a lot of great information and that, uh, you know, you delved into, you know, um, some great information, but it actually is just, you know, several areas of stalking. There are so many different rabbit holes that you can go down when it comes to stalking. And uh, one of the biggest things uh, when it comes to this area that you're diving into is that there is so many gray areas that the uh, judicial system is so far from catching up to and what is acceptable and what is not acceptable and what you know is the personal thought processes of what we or what is believed that we are putting ourselves um, up for when we decide to play out out on the internet and so i thought it so, was a great you know opportunity to reach out to you and talk to you about of just how devastating and how it you know putting yourself out there in the internet of you know what it can do and how it can destroy a person's life why don't you take us back a little bit to how you came into all of this uh it was not by choice <laughs> uh sure. it was uh something that uh, I was completely uh, unaware of. And it was something that was done to me out of spite. And it was a control and done out of uh, my sucker wanting to, um, to destroy me. And, uh, you know, taking that power and using it as a weapon uh, to take information and twist it, twist the, the plot and how that story went. And that's easy to do when you put that on social media. Essentially what this is, is you were, you were building a business, you had a business and you had, you were part of Facebook groups or you were part of uh, social media groups. And this person who had this obsession for you would literally insert themselves into every aspect of your life in an attempt to to wall you off from the world. Is that what you're saying? You know, I think of uh, a lot of the things that you um, talk about, you know, in your story, uh, you know, when you're talking about, uh, you know, um, defense attorneys taking pictures and stuff and they twist the how the pictures are presented, you know, yeah, the order, the order which they're presented, yeah. You know, you twist the dialect of how how that story is presented. It's so easy to do that on social media because who's there to defend you? Who's there to, to you know, uh, tell that that story is not, you know, correct or that uh, it's not the way that it's presented? And, you know, in the moment that that goes up, you know, how many people are seeing that and within seconds have uh, have a thought process and have an opinion and start giving, you know, their giving their advice or giving their opinions and putting things out there. And, you know, it can completely, um, although, you know, somebody says, oh, you know, it only lasts so long before something else is up there, but yet, you know, the damage starts not only the, the opinion they have at you at that second, but it's about how you feel about yourself. 
you know, and how do you, you know, start, you know, um, coming around the corner or how do you start, you know, wrapping your brain around it. And then you're having to go through this whole thing of going through this explanation of saying, well, that's not how it is. And then you're having this, you know, what I call it is this autopsy of like having to dissect it. And you're in this continuous downfall of like dissecting things over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And if somebody does this to you, 24 hours a day, all day long, seven days a week, and it goes on and on and on and on and on, you get into a place where you don't feel like, you, it's like crazy making. You, one, sure. you're like, well, maybe you start to question it. You're like, well, well, maybe, maybe the story wasn't as like I thought it was, you know, maybe it's Yeah, just, I mean, that's, that's textbook gaslighting, right? Is that, yeah. you, you know, these, the, the, the perpetrator, whoever you're, you know, you're dealing with, they, they make you feel like you're going crazy. Like, and they, they just basically change the narrative. But I guess I just want to get into, so who do you, you know, your stalker? Yes, and I do. You, and so, and do you feel comfortable telling us like how you met them and what you went through? I have to be careful relationship? because I have, um, one, I live under an address confidentiality. So I have to protect my, um, I have to protect like my boundaries. And also we have court records that we sign that I will not say anything that is derogatory towards this person that would hold me responsible. But I will, what I will say is that um, we know each other personally. This Got is it. a and personal, this is, <laughs> we know each other personally uh, uh, on a very personal level. So this person has a personal, uh, you know, vendetta to, you know, he feels like he is, this person feels like they've been wrong, you know, um, and it goes to the point of, you know, they have uh, personally, you know, um, done things that have been very hurtful towards me. Um, they have um, done things that have, um, put me in a position of being, you know, harmed. I've been a crime victim of theirs. So, you know, those are the parameters of the situation. Um, so, uh, you know, their setup of the situation is that, you know, they, you know, wound up being in a situation where they could not have access to me so the next step was then if I can't have access to you, I have been put in situations that, you know, now, you know, I look like, you know, my name has, you know, been tarnished. Now I, you know, I'm going to ante up, you know, and this person is very much a narcissist and a sociopath. So, you know, and there's two things to, uh, as you know, is that when when somebody of that nature um, and they have access to you or ability to try to get to you is that when they are called out on the carpet is that um, they're gonna one up you, you know? And if they uh, are called out by the police and they're called out by the court system, um, then now it's vengeance. 
you know, and they're gonna they're so, gonna show you. So they don't even so when you're dealing with a type of person like this, you're finding that it is um <clears throat> it's not even like they have no regard for the law, right? No. So they they have no parameters or sense of decorum that normal people in society say, okay, well, you know, enough. She's, she's called the police or, you know, now I'm going to court dealing with this. Like that doesn't deter them from their, their actions. Correct. They just keep going. They don't stop. No, they, they, you know, what, what I went through is that, you know, my social media, even though I blocked, you know, the people, the certain people and stuff is that they found a way to still find those people and my business connections. And, you know, all of a sudden, you know, on their business pages, they would be getting, uh, they would be getting, you know, notifications or letters on their business, uh, their, you know, business pages, or all of a sudden they would look up their business, uh, addresses or their home addresses and they would be getting uh court documents and stuff sent to their uh, their home addresses or their business addresses to sort of put this in a frame for our audience so if you were doing business with a client this person who had this obsession with you would then find out who those people are and then would send them documents or things that they felt were damaging to you in an attempt to control you or to sabotage those relationships because their sort of feeling was if if i can't have you nobody can have you and nobody can is allowed to deal with you unless i say so so it's a, it's a control thing for this person that's correct yeah if they would notice somebody new would comment and they would notice that maybe that person was in a networking group of mine I would wind up the next time I would wind up going to that networking group. I would get done with the meeting and they would, you know, take me aside and say, Hey, can I talk to you for a second? Next thing I know, they would be pulling out an envelope that had been addressed and gone to them. And I would be horrified, mortified, you know, that something would be sent to them in the mail. Wow. And then, so when these people would come to you and say, Hey, um, you know, Kim, uh, I got this package from someone and this is all this very personal information from you and, and what type of personal information would be, this be, would this be documenting the court case with this individual? Mm -hmm. or there would be court documents in there and text messages. And it was, it was an attempt to defame you essentially Correct. and to, and so how did these people react? Did they, because for me, if this happened to me and I was doing business with you, one, I would be concerned for you because I would feel that I'm not privy to this information and why is somebody doing this? But also how do they find me? Mm -hmm. You know, how do they find me from a Facebook? So was this individual would they would see someone like your comments and then they would go and and essentially stalk that person who liked to comment and then find out everything about that person and then involve that person personally not to keep using the alliteration but they would involve them and and find their address and be able to get them get access to them is that correct that's correct wow so really what i was 
saying about Chris Salgado, what I was discussing with Chris really hit home with you because this is something that you have dealt with firsthand. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I, I uh, very much could. It was like re, when you were having that conversation, it, for me, it was like reliving everything I had gone through, different networking groups. If there was events that they would be going to, this person would show up at those events. And even if I wasn't there, um, they would take pictures of it and then put it up on social media and then refer to my business name and talk about how the um, look at the damage that I could possibly do in this group. So th this is concerning to me for a couple of reasons. And, and you can maybe go in and sort of explain this to our listeners. Did anyone who was involved in these groups find out who this individual was and call the police on them and say, this person is disruptive. They are not only disruptive, they are trying to gain our personal information in a way to involve us, to stalk us or pursue us or damage or defame us or possibly do something to our families because of their obsession with this one individual who we've randomly met. And this isn't right. I mean, where do, where do those individuals' rights who aren't even involved, have no history with this person, where, where do their, their rights come in? Well, I, you bring up a really interesting point. Um, and this is one of the points that I talk about. And one of the things that I really work on, on trying to get out and talk about uh, when I give my talks is that, you know, we talk about that we're horrified when we hear about domestic violence and we see pictures and things like that. And we hear things on the news and we say, that's just horrible. Something needs to be done about it. But we talk about like, it's some, it's others jobs to do something about it and not realizing that, no, it's, our job as a society to do something about it and you know people would sit there and say you know we're we're there with you we don't hold you accountable we support you we care about you but yet nobody was willing to take that extra step and go to the police and make a police report which you know the more reports you have in somebody else that actually you know, creates their own story and their own report, it actually makes all the difference in the world because it's not just my story. It's not just me making, you know, a claim. It's somebody else who is uh, extremely upset, you know, and when you have a community come together and say, we want action, it holds a lot more weight. And that didn't happen. And so not that I'm trying to sit here and try to throw any blame or say that those people cared any less about me because, you know, they, they were very sincere when they said that they cared about me. But at the end of the day, that's what it takes to make a big difference. I mean, I would agree with that a hundred percent is that you have to, at some point, the rubber needs to meet the road. Right. But I think that, you know, it's interesting that we're examining this because your 
you know, you've seen it in a way that has affected you where you're essentially saying, Hey, I need just some of you guys to come forward because if these people had come forward and said, you know, Hey, look, um, you know, I'm also bothered by this. And then this person is being directly affected by this. We need to do something law enforcement or the court system would have taken action. You feel, but because they didn't do that. And this, and this is, this sort of goes back into sort of a national conversation. I feel that we're having right now with let's say gun violence. And there's an issue with this, right? And people are saying, well, why didn't they report this person behavior? Why didn't they say this? And again, we don't want to be in a in a police state where you're constantly, when you're reporting people and, and this type of thing, cause that's not good either. But there are certain times when you become involved that you should be concerned and rallying as a community is one way. Just like when somebody is, a, there's a missing persons case and we, you know, for years we just think that the police will deal with this. Well, there's so many of these cases. I'm sure the police are inundated with these types of cases as well. And, you know, I, you know, I've done an episode recently with my, my good friend, Lenora Claire and, and she, has had these same you know issues and it wasn't until she literally just organized everything herself with the police and with private detectives that they finally paid attention to the city of LA and she was able to get her stalker arrested and he went to prison you know and he's been in and out of of jail because you know again this is someone who was very affluent came from an affluent family so he had means so they have, they essentially have nothing better to do when they become obsessed now he was schizoaffective do you believe that your was your stalker affected by a mental illness or just narcissistic personality disorder you feel or um, what was that? Or maybe you can't speak to that, but. You know, I don't have, I have conversations that I've had with my own personal therapist. I don't have any documentation that I can, you know, uh, give you that would be on record so um but i have you know my own therapist that had worked with the both of us so uh i i feel very comfortable <laughs> with that of being able to you know give that kind of feedback that when i was going through all of this um that uh that was a really good person for me to be with of going through that therapy because there was able to give that other side having is it's not that any therapist that you're working with isn't a good therapist to work with but sure, they have sure. never had that ability to interact with that other person so they're doing their best to go with saying okay you know if people have these atypical personalities then generally speaking, you know, I would say they probably are most likely to be like this, you know, and that's the best they can do because they can't document anything with somebody that they haven't ever spent time with. So I had yeah. the good fortune having the chance that they had spent time with this person. So, you know, that for me was such a blessing because they were able to be able to talk to me in a fashion that was able to zone in and say, you know, I can walk you through this from a, you know, both from both sides. 
and be able to help me, you know, through. And, you know, it was very, 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 very difficult um, because, you know, uh, you know, we've, we haven't even gotten through, you know, all, all the different things that, that were done yet in our conversation that, you know, that at the, I would say, uh, tip, you know, at the tipping point, you know, I was at the point, um, at the worst, at the worst point of, of this, um, I had every window covered up. Um, I was working on my laptop out of my bed. I was afraid to get out of my bed. I would go running. I would strategically think what I wanted out of my fridge to eat or drink. And I would strategically count to three and I would run to get what I wanted and would run back to my bed because I was too, was too afraid to think who was videoing me, were they looking in? So. I'm so sorry. It was hard. Yeah, I can imagine. It, it's, I've had friends that um, have not been through this extreme of a circumstance, but certainly have had people surveil them in their own homes and enter the homes and move things around in an attempt to, again, make them feel like they were going crazy to manipulate them. You know, logging through in through their Wi-Fi routers and things like that. You know, just you know, obviously when you do something, you to interview someone like Chris Salgado, who was on the program that you saw, obviously who's who works with this social engineering and cyber stalking cases. You you have a lot of people that come out and say, "Man, this is what happened to me." <laughs> to me. And you know, I'm just so sorry that you had to live in your own home in fear, and the person wasn't even there. You, you it was the thought of them. And it was, I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot to handle. Well, yeah. I, I'm glad you you're know, still here. To... If, if I had, you know, a new, you know, friend that that person had never, you know, met before, because you have new friends that you meet and stuff like that. And of course. Um, they would park in the driveway. Within several days, they got, they would get a, wind up getting a letter in the mail. So it got to the point that, I would have to have them park their car behind the RV gate or in my garage in order to protect. So this person couldn't couldn't have their license plate be seen mm -hmm. so that they could be tracked down. I mean, this is just, it's staggering to me that so many of these people that were in your life didn't just step up and say, you know what, enough of this. Like, who who is this person? Okay, like, why am I getting these? Okay, and then going, because I, I, I would assume that this type of thing, also when you're doing it through the mail, <laughs> Uh, also involves a certain level of criminal prosecution as a possibility because you're using the, the postal system now to stalk and intimidate. And I'm sure there's many laws that were broken. So you're, you're in a protection program, correct? correct? So no one is able to know where you're at and you're not in the state where this happened and all of this. But the state that you're in now, you helped change some laws with some congressmen, I is did. that correct? Yeah. So I, why don't you talk a little bit about that with, with your foundation and what you're doing Yeah, to be and, proactive? You know, that was very empowering. I went uh, and spoke in front of uh, the house and- The state, the state house of representatives? And 
in both the House and the Senate and uh, shared my testimony of what I had gone through. And uh, I guess um, when the first step was the House and uh, it unbeknownst to me is that I was told that um, they were concerned that it was actually not going to pass in the House because the Democrats um, were not for this bill. And I'm not sure what the reasons were, um, but when they had heard all of my testimony, uh, it actually passed 10 to zero. And I was so um, excited about that uh, because for me, uh, I was all about, I, I was like a, a force to reckon with about this bill. Sure, that's amazing. It, it was. Uh, making that and what is the bill exactly? It's harassment and stalking on social media is a misdemeanor. And so okay. for me, I was all about this. Like, you know, I was very adamant that this had to take place. Um, I wanted to make sure that no matter how difficult it was to talk about, um, because when this bill uh, was being talked about, it was very shortly after my experience, and I didn't care how difficult it was uh, to talk about. Um, to me, uh, what it meant for me was is that um, if I could talk about this, that meant that I could go back to um, the police and I could get them to actually do what I needed them to do. So it meant everything to me to make sure that this wow. bill got passed. So. Uh, I actually, every step of the way, every time I spoke, I would send an email to my domestic violence investigator and said, this is what I did today. <laughs> like, we're one step closer that I can get you to do what I need you to do. You know, I think he hated hearing from me. So, um, and then- But you eventually forced them by your activism, you forced them into action, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then the next step was is, uh, speaking in front of the Senate and there's eight people in front of the Senate. And uh, that was an even more empowering uh, opportunity because the chairman, you're only supposed to get, uh, I think it was three and a half minutes to speak. And the chairman, when I got done speaking, uh, he actually said, I think she wants to finish up and he actually gave me more time to speak. They were so um, blown away by everything that I had to say about my experiences. Then also uh, they were just so uh, unbelievably blown away by how many obstacles that I was having to deal with when it came to trying to get uh, you know, law enforcement to actually enforce. Uh, because it was just to draw the pick of who it is that, you know, showed up uh, to take uh, the report. So, um, you know, I think that for me, uh, when they go around to do the vote, listening to every single one said, may I say something? And listening to all eight of them had something to say, and they all said something about you know, we can't allow this. We need to do something with this bill so that she never has to go through this again. And I think for me, 
um, actually taking whatever it took to show up that day to just listen to what they had to say was worth every second of the nerves that I had going through me that day. Sure, that's so, amazing. So yeah, it, in that passed eight to zero. And so because it, it passed simultaneously, it automatically went to the governor and it got signed um, in then that May by the governor. So that was really, really exciting. It was in Arizona, got it. And um, so, uh, and when was the law passed? Uh, it was uh, passed in uh, twenty twenty May of twenty twenty one. So it's a year in the book on the books yeah, so the far. Books. And what has the impact of this? Now, what is the law called again? Uh, it's um, harassment and stalking on social media. I'm just starting to hear people just starting to realize that this real law is out there now. So I'm hoping that it will now really start to become a deterrent. So I think it took a little while for it to kind of trickle down um, from you know, it becoming a, a law into it trickling down into law enforcement uh, because uh, you know, it, I think there's just a, a natural process of you know, it, it becoming a law and then actually getting out there for everybody to understand <clears throat> that now it actually is there and that you can actually, uh, you know, do something with it. And I'm very obviously very well aware of it. And I speak about it and make it very well known. So where are you speaking at? I just recently uh, spoke at uh, ASU and I spoke okay. to uh, 5,000 students because I think it's important for Wow. For the students to understand. Wow. Because that's a, you know, such a critical time in your life. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. You, know, you are making such decisions of, you know, getting ready that you could wind up in a relationship that forever turns your life. You know, for me, uh, that was a pivotal time in my life where I did wind up, you know, in a domestic violence relationship. I was 23 years old. You know, that's where my journey started. And, um, you know, all it takes is that, you know, you have a lack of confidence. And so, you know, that's a great time to have that conversation. You know, is where, what decisions are you making? You're one step away, always. Well, it's good that you're giving back and that you're, you're, you're really spreading awareness with youth, especially where this is, you know, I mean, you know, nowadays everyone grows up with a smartphone in their hands or a smart device and it's and this is you know a whole new world we, we, you know, with TikTok and 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 obviously instagram social media in general of and there's ways that you can bully people and you can find out things and and it's um you know it's it, raising the collective consciousness on this is 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 crucial and I and I commend you for the work you're doing and for helping. Um, what is your, uh, so you have a foundation that you started after all of this, correct? Uh, it's Envision You Victory Over Violence. And uh, I built a whole program that is uh, based on focusing in on confidence, self-worth and self-esteem. So, you know, the number one uh, re issue that um, as uh a survivor or as a victim is that we're in it because we're 
you know, we're suffering from lack of worth and the number one reason why we return or we have a difficulty, you know, moving forward in life and have a lot of issues that, you know, take us in different areas is because we don't have the confidence to make the decisions we need. And we, you know, uh, go back because we don't feel like we have the self-force because we have that gaslighting that is working in our head. So I have a whole program of working on what are some what are the sabotaging behaviorisms that we deal with that have followed us and what's the why behind it the why is so important you know you talk about that in your TEDx talk you talk about it in so many of your podcasts and stuff and you know what's the why and how are we going to use that why to move us forward yeah it's turning that why into like not that victim mentality of why this happened to me but it's taking that and moving that into action exactly when you go through trauma yeah and how do we how do we make that shift that why to what now it's all about shifting it absolutely absolutely that's what it is you know i think it's a just for your listeners uh it's just so so important is that protect yourself protect yourself out there uh you know, there's a lot going on out there that we don't realize that we're getting into. But in all fairness, I mean, I know, you know, you've, you said to me, oh, this is, you know, the worst choice I, I made in my life or worst decision. I said, well, ultimately, I think it could be the best decision because you're now giving back and you're in a place where you're raising awareness for others and you're using your, your you know, you are indeed embodying this this why to what now mentality of let me use this experience that has been so horrific for me so others can learn from it. You are really embodying this this role of taking of turning your trauma into something that's positive for others. So again, when you said to me, this is the worst decision I ever made in my life, I said, well, I challenge you to think of it as the best decision and the best thing that could have happened to you because you're using this to empower not only yourself but others through your experience and sharing that with the world and that really is the most amazing thing of all this you're not hiding in your house you are getting out there you are reaching out to individuals like myself to share your story and you're getting laws passed and even you know on a smaller level that is still going to make a big impact and that might actually save at least that one person from going through what you went through I mean, I think you feel that, right? I do. I do. You know, my biggest, uh, my biggest mission, uh, you know, and I, I, I wear my hope around my neck and, you know, that is, is that my biggest hope all the time is that, uh, I don't want others to take 25 years to find, you know, their, their worth and to make mistakes I made. Sure. That their journey is much shorter than mine was to find where their purpose is. And if I can do that, then everything that I went through was absolutely worth it because it got me to where I am today and is getting them where they need to be very, very quickly. And that's the greatest gift ever. So that's, that's what I want for all of them is that, you know, everyone is, is so precious. Absolutely. So, um, Kimberly, where can we find your foundation? Where can we find out a little bit about you? Yeah. If you go to envisionyouvictory.org, mm-hmm. that's the website. 
Envision you victory. Envision you victory. And you is Y-O-U, not the letter U. Envisionyouvictory.org. Yeah, that's the best way to find us. And all the information's on there. And, uh, you know, everybody, it doesn't matter where you're located. That's the great thing is that we do offer twice a month uh, free classes for survivors. And we do it via Zoom. So you can, you know, join us and be part of it. And, you know, we can be there for you. That's wonderful. You're, you're taking the first steps of really getting out of living in this trauma and, and embracing it and, and taking and owning your power. And, and I really commend you for that. I mean, that's just, it's a great feeling. I know. Oh, I know. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you have to own yourself and not let others own you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, on that note, thank you so much, Kimberly Miner. It's so great to have you on the program. I appreciate well, thank you. you. This is a great place to be and visit. Yeah, it's, um, it's really tough. And I have really been, um, you know, I, I've had a stalker and I've had someone who also in a relationship, uh, you know, they were a narcissist and they really went about to try to dismantle my life, reaching out to very personal and longtime connections of mine and people that were very influential in my life growing up, trying their best to sabotage me and again, all at the end of the day, right before the pandemic to try to loot me back into their world. I love speaking about these things and I, and I, I thank Kimberly for her courage to come on the program and share as much of her story as she can that she feels comfortable with. I also commend all the work that she's doing because look, at the end of the day, my mother was also a victim of coercive control and a victim of a narcissist and a manipulator and a sociopath. And not everyone needs to have the same outcome that my mother had. And I feel it's really key to learn from people like Kimberly and other guests that I've had to really be able to, you know, learn how to get out of these situations, learn how to avoid these situations, learn how to, you know, uh, and know that you're not alone. Really at the end of the day, you're not alone in these situations. And I think that's probably the biggest takeaway from this is, is there's a message of hope that you can come out and things will get better. You can leave these situations. And, um, so I'm just really, really grateful to have had Kimberly join the program today. Um, look on that note, I am Collier Landry and this is moving past murder. Thanks y'all. This podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible. Find us on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Collier Landry. The film A Murder in Mansfield is available on Investigation Discovery, Discovery Plus, and Amazon Prime Video. This podcast is a production of Don't Touch My Radio in association with RSA Entertainment. Please visit mpmpodcast.com to show your support today.